Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. We've got a great show in store for you. Um, before we start the show, though, I want to do a couple of little things. We are now uh, opening up our boardroom. So if you're thinking about you want to take it to the next level and start doing apartment complexes, learning how to find them, how to fund them, how to operate, how to uh, know if you have a deal or not, how to raise all the capital. We have, I've created something entirely awesome that I, I promise you is not being done in the info space anywhere. And what we offer is such huge value. So I only limit it to 35 people. 35 people I invite to my Kahuna boardroom. Um, we offer deal partnering. We will uh, sponsor your deals. We'll underwrite your properties to make sure you have a good one. Uh, my whole team's involved. It's 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 a big process, and we don't open it up to everybody, and it is expensive. Okay, it's seventy five hundred dollars. You have to submit an application, and now, but here's what we're looking for. We're looking for people that want to do this business. So it helps if you have some real estate experience, but you don't have to have real estate experience. You could have influence. You could be a doctor, dentist, lawyer, chiropractor. Um, you could be a person that just really wants it really bad and wants to succeed. And maybe that is your starting point is, is multifamily. And that's fine too. But we're trying to gauge your commitment level, right? And because I only allow 35 people in my boardroom and I want to make sure that I'm not wasting your time or mine. And so it is 7,500 bucks. We have a payment plan, uh, for uh, like a three payment, three pay uh, payment plan um, for anybody that's a little bit price sensitive to that, right? We, we're trying to be mindful, but what you're getting is the type of I wouldn't call it coaching, um, but it's it's kind of a hybrid. It, it, we have coaching calls. Um, we probably do one a month, one every other month. They're not guaranteed, but they are part of our continued education to our boardroom members. But we do offer something very, very, very unique. So if, if that's you, if you're interested, go to kahunaboardroom.com. Again, that's kahuna, K-A-H-U-N-A, boardroom.com, and apply. So you can, you can get on that site. You can see all the things that we're offering, and then you have to apply. When you apply, I am going to call you. Nobody else on my team is going to call you. It will come from me, Corey Peterson. I personally vet everybody that comes into my boardroom. I have a conversation with you. We want to make sure that it's the right fit and it's application only. This boardroom is going to be July 29, 30, and 31, right? So we have another one coming up in October. So if you can't make the July event but want to make it into the uh, October event, let us know. But take the time, seriously take the time and apply if, if that's you. If you're if you're really wanting to move the needle, I promise you, I I have an education program platform that does not exist out there in the marketplace. When you come to my event, by the way, there's nothing for sale. You cannot buy any other product from me because I don't have it. I don't that's not the place where you come and then we upsell you to the $20,000 coaching platform. I don't have it. I am a deal maker, okay? And I, I know I spent a little bit of time on this because I, I want you to understand that this is unique and special. It is different, I promise you. And if you will listen to some of the testimonials on that page, kahunaboardroom.com, listen to some of the testimonials and you tell me 
if you think it's right. Because I'm telling you, anybody that's attended, it's changed them in a positive, positive way. And people are doing deals. That, my friend, is the proof in the pudding. So go to the Kahuna Boardroom and check it out, all right? Let's start the show. So the big question is this. Are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets, and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time, and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. Get ready to roll. We are in episode 74, and I'm going to start a little new series, little uh, mini-series called Hawkeye Towers, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. This is going to be a conversation about a deal that we did in December and kind of just going to break down what went right, what went wrong, um, and just you know, to let you guys discover the underbelly of what really happens in multifamily deals. Uh, so many people talk about how great it is and, and all that stuff, but a lot of times, and I mean a lot of times, they forget to tell you the truth, <laughs> that it's not always sunsets and palm trees, baby. Uh, sometimes there's a little uh, snafu. Just before I start, though, I got to give a shout out to my wonderful assistant, Susie. And I came in this morning, and if you're watching it on YouTube right now, you're going to see my Bob Ross Positive Energy Drink. Okay? Now, if you know me, you know that I'm a Bob Ross fan. I was memorized as a little kid watching PBS and watching him do Happy Little Trees. You know, two hairs and some air. And that's all you need to make a happy painting, because there are no mistakes. There's just happy accidents. And, you know, painting a Bob Ross is almost like doing a real estate deal. Sometimes, you know, you're, you you have this idea of what you're going to do, and then you your, your hand messes up, and you're like, ooh. But you, then you, you pull back sometimes, and you can look, and there are no mistakes, right? And things happen for a reason. So, all right, a couple things before we get started. First of all, if, uh, you know, we are actively looking for a um, some apartment deals, and, and we are in the hunt. For our next deal, and I got a feeling we're, we're somewhere close into wrangling one up. We've come so close the last couple times trying to get a deal, and we were in best and final, and we lost. Right now, that happens. Right, it happens to me all the time. And what do I do about it? I don't cry about it. I just, I just go back to work. Right, because that's really my only, it's the only thing I can do is go back to work. Right. I mean, what else? What else is there? So. If you're interested in becoming one of our investors in one of our deals, if you'd like to learn how to become an investor in one of our deals, um, one of the easiest ways to do that is um, we want to get to know you. And so we have a process for that. And if you go to Kahuna Investments, so kahunainvestments.com, 
um, there's going to be a big pop-up, and, and I'm also going to give you a free copy of my book, right? So if you'll come in, you'll opt in, fill out the information. Now, we are going to ask you financial uh, information. We're going to ask if you're an accredited investor or if you're not an accredited investor. It doesn't matter which one you are, okay? But we have to ask these uh, financial questions. And then we are going to start a journey to get to know you, right? And uh, we have people on my team that will do that. Or you're going to get access to our membership site, and you'll become one of our members. Um, and once we uh, go through the whole membership process, uh, we'll actually qualify you to become an active member, meaning you'll be able to see our future deals. Okay. So we have a process for that. We want to get to know you. We want to know who you are. We really want to have a substantive relationship with you so we can show you deals and help you make um, money on your money. So um, make sure you take time out to go do that if you if you have interest. Um, we've done really, really incredibly well. Also, I want to give a quick uh, little shout out to a couple of people that went on to iTunes and left reviews. So this one goes out to Rex Merchant. Rex Merchant. Okay. It says, Corey, I can't thank you enough for providing all this content. Every episode, of course, including everyone with a guest speaker, has another useful detail. Together, they com comprise a wonderful collection that would be impossible to bottle up in a book. Five stars. Sorry, I can't give you six stars. So Rex Merchant, hey, listen, thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, guys, again, man, I love it. I honestly, I really love it when you take the time, because I know it takes time to go onto iTunes and leave a review. And so, uh, but a lot of you have. And so for that, I'm, I'm very honored and I'm very humbled. And uh, so just thank you so much. All right. So three-part series on Hawkeye Towers. Um, so let me kind of give you a little background of what Hawkeye Towers is and then the deal that I just did. I closed it like, I think, December 21st or something like that. And that was a deal that was a student housing project. And it came to us via, by the way, of a broker relationship. Okay. Now, it's a student housing and uh, the broker relationship was from a deal that I had done maybe a year and a half before called Eagles Village, right? Eagles Village, we bought for 12.7 million bucks, um, was a student housing deal. And so the same broker, and he's actually going to be on our podcast, I believe, uh, coming up soon. So uh, Alex Blavojevich. And so Alex uh, came in and, uh, and we transacted, and we actually transacted in that first property. It was very smooth. Very smooth. Now, this one didn't go as smooth, okay? <laughs> but it happens sometimes. Um, and so, but because of that, what we established was a transactional relationship and that we did what we said we were going to do. And so in this deal, he offered it to us and said, hey, you know, would you be interested? This, this looks a lot and feels a lot like the Eagle Village deal. And so we look into it and we said, well, gosh, yeah, it does. So again, First steps of any deal when we uh, get a, a potential deal, and it was actually part of a deal package, meaning there was, I think it was two properties, maybe three properties together that they were selling. Well, two of the properties were not, were not really great. They didn't really hit our sniff test, but Hawkeye Towers did. And so we just said, hey, listen, can we just make an offer on Hawkeye Towers? The broker said, yeah, no problem. And lo and behold, okay, so now we're off and running. And here's the best part about this deal was that we were not in a highest and best opportunity, meaning there was no other competing um, 
uh, offers in our deal. Why? Man, I'm telling you, this is the power of transacting and having broker relations. Because when you can get to that point where you're just a good guy and they like you and they want to do business with you because you made it somewhat easy, and more importantly, everybody will forget anything that bad that happens in a deal as long as you close. Okay. Now, write that down. Put it in your mental memory. Every broker, every per person that's part of a transaction, even the seller, will forget everything if you transact. Okay. Just know this. So, even though deals kind of go south and they get weird and, and all that stuff, when you close, all sins are forgiven. <laughs> and uh, and that, so that, that's an important part of when you, when you take the time to go through a deal, make sure that you understand what you're doing, but just, but just go slow, right? So we have internally a very slow process. So when people say, hey, Corey, hey, I'm doing a deal and I'm going to close the next two weeks and I just found it. And man, we can, I can never do that. I mean, I, that would never, ever happen in what I do because inherently I'm too damn slow. I'm slow for a reason. My team's slow for a reason um, because we want to gather and we have, and the reason is we have a process, right? Because we have a process, that means that we are going to follow our process and the process makes us slow because we have to check things off. So the first thing for this property, Hawkeye Towers, is to do a site visit. Now, as you guys probably know, Corey Peterson doesn't go do site visits anymore. I send my team. So I send my team, they go to the site visit. And you know what we're doing at that site visit is trying to kill the deal, right? You know, you really want to try to see if you can, is there a way to make this deal not work? And now when we get to Hawkeye Towers, we're actually pretty surprised. Now, Hawkeye Towers is located in Waterloo, Iowa. And Waterloo, Iowa is like in the middle of really nowhere. Okay. It's in between Des Moines and Rapid City, and it's it's just kind of a, it's about the biggest town in a 150-mile radius, but it is not the Taj Mahal, like, marketplace. So the first thing that we looked at is, you know, is this city big enough? Like, do we have an exit strategy here? And, we, we you know, that's what we're, as we're going into the property, we're thinking, well, you know, Maybe, maybe not, but we want to. We want to make sure. We want to understand what's going on, and so we get get on the ground. And when I say we, really, I say these things because this is what's communicated to me before we go. Because I'm not going on this trip, but we get there, and we realize that the property is a student housing project, and but it's not a four year college. It's actually a community college, and so, but it's right next door. So. When it comes to student housing, one of the biggest things that you want to make sure that you understand is how close you are to the college, right? How close you are to the college is the factor in student housing, okay? It's not how nice your property is. It's how close you are to the college. Now, this was a, a community college, but we're a, right across the street. So we're like, boom, that's, that's, we like that. That's perfect. We can see this, okay? The other thing is, is the property was built in 2006. Man, I'm already liking a 2006 vintage property. And it's full brick. So even on the sides of the building, it's full brick. So it's, see, it's 
for six six three story buildings, full brick. I mean, they look good. It does, and it's specifically built for student housing, meaning the floor plans uh, have one shared living space and then two bedrooms on one side and two bedrooms on the other side, and they share a bathroom. So it's two bed, uh, two bathrooms on each side. And we rent these things by the bedroom. Okay, it's just like college dorms, right? But it's apartment complex. And so, uh, you know, you look at this thing, you're like, okay, well, and then it doesn't even have a pool, which is even better because like for apartment complex, pool's an expense. And for other apartment complexes, it's an amenity. But for student housing, everybody's gone for the summer. So the pool doesn't really have much, like doesn't help us out really a whole lot. But what this property does have is a basketball court and a sand, sand volleyball court, and they're both right next to each other. So that's that's cool. So we get to the property. Now we're, you know, this is the site visit. So we're not doing our full due diligence at this point. We're just kind of checking out to make sure that we understand the assets. So what, what we saw is it's a newer building, great location next to the community college. So community college would be kind of a red flag because you don't normally see a student housing base next to a community college. Now, in Iowa, I think it makes sense because, you know, in Iowa, there's lots of farms where this property was surrounded in, uh, is surrounded by farms. And when you think about that demographic, there's a lot of students that live, kids live on these farms. And so they got to go to school somewhere. And really the, you know, unexpensive alternative is community college. And if you have a community college with housing, well, that's kind of, that's pretty neat. So now you can get an, a, a college experience, but without the four-year college expense. Well, that's something we could, we, we, we understood that narrative and we said that this may work out really well. So we get to the, uh, the properties. Now we're going through some of the financials of the property. And, you know, <clears throat> we're always trying to figure out why is the seller wanting to sell? What's, what's his motivation? And we're really trying to look for leverage, right? We're always trying to look for leverage as we do these systems because we, you know, you may need it. And so what we found is that the original um, developer, the person that built it, is actually the owner. And so he built it in 2006 and he's, he's owned and operated it. And he's local, but he's self-managing the property. Now, most of the times when you hear self-managing the property, that should be an automatic perk up your ears because probably most of the time they are not doing a sufficient job because they become lazy. And so that's exactly what the case was here. This owner would get property or, you know, would lease up. So in the student housing um, lease up, you kind of get one chance to lease up your property for the full year. That's called the fall leasing, right? Fall leasing. And then you kind of get another, um, a little bit of a, a, a chance when it comes spring semester. Okay. Now, as we're going through some of these, uh, some of the, the rent rolls and just we're tuning as much as we can, because on a site visit, you're not going to get a whole slew of information. Okay. They're going to give you just enough. So you're touring the property of what you think, because you don't get everything until you go into due diligence. And so the goal on this property in the first place was just to sniff it out and see if it's right. So 
as we're asking some financial questions about occupancy. Now, we found that since it's been built, it has a history of being at least 85% or better occupancy. Well, that's good. That means it's at least stabilized. That, that was good. And we were coming out, so we were looking at this property in November, or no, in August, September, in June. This is funny. Now, this is going to tell you a story. So we're looking at it actually June. No, in May. So w- this property we start looking at in May. So I think we do a site visit in late May, right? Early June. And so we're going into this thing and we're like, okay, this is great. Um, we like the property. And the current leasing year, right? In May. So we look at, you know, last year's, you know, they're at 95% occupancy. Well, 95% occupancy is great. I mean, that's really, really good. Now, the previous year, he was 87% occupancy. And so we're like, well, what changed? You know, what, what was the difference? And he had no rhyme or reason why that year he was 95%. Um, and so um, we, we kind of thought, well, maybe we'll split the difference as like when we do our underwriting. So we kind of figured the property would be about 87 or 88% occupied. That was kind of how we started our baseline numbers, right? And we're getting into the steel, and <clears throat> basically we come away, and it, you know, wheels on the ground. We come back home. Uh, Mike calls me from my management company, the one that goes out and looks at my properties, and he goes, "Corey, this is a deal. Like this is a deal. You know, we got a, we got a lazy owner. We got you know a girl that's kind of like management, but she's not full. She's full time, but she's not full time. She doesn't live on site. You know, they just they seem just kind of a little bit confused in what they're doing." Um, there's no there's no real systems or processes here, and this this is something we could probably you know under our platform we could really manage this thing up, and so boom that means it's a green light deal. In other words, we didn't kill it. In other words, this is actually a little bit better than we had thought. Now, as we're looking at you know better than we thought, well that's good, right? We like that. Now we're going into the next phase, which is the LOI. Right. And, you know, we're, we're looking at before we make an LOI, we, we try to look at all the things considered of how we would take down this property. Because the first thing we got to do is we got to look at financing and understand, is this deal financeable? And our real question was the, the small uh, size of the city. Um, what was that going to represent on our uh, financials and, and what we were going to have to put down? Because usually, in a property like this, you know, we would already underwrite at 25% LTV, loan to value. But on this particular property, we said, no, let's make that 35% LTV. So we were, and we were, we're budgeting to put 35% down. And so when we look at that, plus now, then we started looking at like some, uh, you know, how much repairs were needed because as we walked the units itself, they were actually in really good shape, like really good shape. And so that that was actually a, a pleasant surprise as well. So we have a property that's in good shape, good condition, newly built, close to the, the community college. I mean, it's got more pluses than minuses. But one of the biggest minuses was like, man, it's going to take 35% down. Well, that means it, to get that down money, that comes from private equity. So then we have to put equity into the deal at, at a, you know, my private equity cost. And then we have to go back and see if it pencils. And guess what? It does. And in fact, 
it does not just a little bit, it does a lot. So, I mean, these numbers are looking absolutely amazing. So, um, so this property was a 294 bed student housing property. And when you look at it, you know, it's like, wow, okay. So this, this thing looked at it and, and it made sense. So when we put the proposed loan terms, so we looked at the deal, we said, okay, we are going to get a 15 year fixed Fanny product. Okay. And because it was at 95% the previous year, um, we could easily qualify for a, what's called a, uh, a Fannie, a Fannie loan, your agency type of loan and get the best type of debt. Right. And so this was a uh, Fannie or, or possibly a Freddie, Freddie uh, Mac product, but we typically like to do a 15 year term. And the reason for that is, is right now in the economy, we want to make sure that we have enough runway to, to go out of an, uh, anything bad that happens. So that's how we initially underwrite it. We say, okay, in that 15-year uh, fixed product with Fannie, we know that we can usually get five years of interest only, and we figure it with 35% down, okay? And we figure an interest rate of about 6, uh, 6.2 or 6.5%. Well, uh, or no, actually, it's fine. I'm sorry, 5%, 5%. Because that's typically what, what, at that point in time, that's what the loans were going for. Now, we're looking at this. We're like, okay, that's good. So that means we can get a loan for about $6.9 million. By the way, we're buying this property for $10.6 million, right? And so, uh, or at least that's what we're going to try to buy the off property for. And um, we actually put in a, a bid for ten point four, and we actually contracted at 10.6. So they, they went back and forth a little bit. It came up a couple hundred grand to make it right. And we, we were awarded uh, a signed LOI. Okay. Now this point in time, we're like, okay, so we went on the site visit, looked good. We went through the LOI process. We got a property locked up for 10.6 and we made some general assumptions. Okay. We're, we're, our first assumption too was that we needed 4.6 total equity invested in the deal okay so so what's that breakdown what does that money go towards okay well 35 percent of of it was the down payment so that's 3.7 million right we had budgeted capital improvements of 202,000. we had loan fees or third-party reports of 154,000. um corey takes a four percent acquisition fee and that's based on the purchase price so that's four hundred twenty-six thousand dollars there we have a due diligence fee of twelve five, bank reserves of eighteen seven fifty, legal costs. That's what it takes to like do our PPMs and uh, negotiations in the uh, purchase and sale agreement. That's twenty six thousand. New deal exploration. So this is a fee that I take each and every deal um, that helps replenish the cost of sending people out to go do these site visits, and then cash in the bank of eighty six thousand dollars. Okay. And these are rough numbers, but that makes the total equity that we needed was $4.6 million, $4.675 million. So we're looking at that, and that's the amount of money we need, and the numbers still pencil. So at this point in time, we're looking at it like we've, we're about ready to get a pretty darn good deal. And more importantly is that the numbers seemed to jive, right? And when we look at this deal, so we underwrote the property at that 88% occupancy. So meaning that they're trailing uh, uh, 
when we looked at it, it said, hey, it's 12% vacancy, even though it was currently at 95. But we felt like to get um, and to get our Freddie and Fan, uh, Fannie products, we had to have at least a 90% occupancy. So we're going through our due diligence period. Now, we talked about um, just a minute ago, our due diligence fee of 12500 Now, so once we get a property under contract, now we have to go deep dive into the property. And this is where we spend um, a good week there at the property and with a team of about 15 people. And we go and audit. Not only do we do a physical audit, we do a financial audit on the property. So we've got to check and verify the number. We've got to know the numbers. This is the most critical part of the apartment investing world that most people skip through half hazardly. Can't do it. Okay, by the way, can't do it. You have to really listen. If you're raising millions of dollars, you've got to know that you got a deal, right? If you don't know that you have an absolute deal like I know, then you should walk away. You should absolutely walk away. So when we when it comes to our due diligence, we are still going there not to see the best and brightest of the deal, but to kill the freaking deal. It has to be done that way. And you know, we have a team and we have a process, we go through it. And as we're getting into this property, we start having some more questions, right? Because it looks great from when we first came in and went under contract. Now, but now we send our team to the property. And so first result. So now we have our team doing our due diligence. We're looking at it. And this looks like a pretty good deal. It appears to be a pretty good deal. In fact, when we did that capital improvement piece, that number didn't change because we walked every unit door to door to door and our numbers didn't change. And that's, that's usually doesn't ever happen, right? So this property was in good shape. But we started to see, well, what we started to see was why this guy was failing because this was like in, now we're, we're in the property in July. So July, you know, you have July and then August, June, July, August. So we're at the property in July. In July, we're having people come over from the college, from the community college. We're there doing our due diligence. This is just funny. It just so happens to be the same week as orientation week at the, at the college orientation week. And so someone, a representative from the community college comes all the way to our property or the property we're going to buy and goes to the manager and says, hey, you know, this is orientation week where you guys kind of set up a booth. And we're kind of scratching our heads looking at this saying, what? How can you be student housing and not know the biggest days of the whole year and you don't even have a booth up to shake, you know, the kids and mom and dad's hand and welcome them to a Hawkeye and say, hey, listen, we have housing right next door. Oh, my God. You want to talk about a miss. And the current property management had no idea, had no idea. And so we're seeing we're starting to see cracks of the why. And, and so then we start wondering, like, gosh. This guy's not like, he's starting to check out, right? Because that, that should be something like, we know this based on experience that as you get into deals, that sellers, especially when you have them under contracts, sellers tend to get amnesia and like this thing where they start to forget how to operate and they start pulling people 
it's crazy how it happens. But I'm telling you, this is a real, real factor, is that they get celleritis, and all of a sudden they forget to do the work. And we started having these weird feelings like, listen, I mean, because it's all about that fall leasing season. And here we are at the property, we're getting ready to buy it, and the seller just is not motivated to send people over there to the college to help pre-lease it. And, you know, we're betting and banking on that 95% that he did the year before. And we need at least 90% to get the current loan that we have worked on, right? Because you go into a deal with an idea of how you're going to get, you know, financing. All right. So we go through the whole due diligence. The numbers um, look decent. They are uh, accurate. Um, we do believe that it is, uh, you know, 18% or 12% vacant at the time, even though at the time that we're there. So why we're in the summertime, leases are start. we're starting to see some cracks. First of all, one of the first cracks is, again, the student housing, he's only doing a lot of nine-month leases, not full-year leases. And we also see that, um, you know, right now the renewals, I mean, they've lot. They've got a lot that are coming due, and they've not re-leased them up for the next school year. And we're starting to wonder, like, we're, we were getting nervous, and that's why we put it at 88%. So right, right there at 88%, we know that we have a problem. This is why we're in due diligence. We already know we have a problem, okay, because we had already started a path to Fannie and Freddie debt, meaning we're going to get 80% or at least 90% occupancy, and we're underwriting our starting point at 88 because that's where we're at and we're starting to see signs that the seller is not motivated okay red flags start going up okay and so as we're going into july and now august now august is all about the seller giving us real data right real data because we got to see his lease ups now i think we're scheduled to close in august september september September's our closing date. So we're going July. We have 45 days uh, inspection period, right? At August, right? August is the lease up. And we're monitoring this lease up like hard because this is what's going to affect our loan. And so lo and behold, you know what happens, okay? The guy doesn't lease it up to 90%. He leases it up to 88%. And so... And, and we actually even got an exception from Freddie to be at 89, right? So at 89%, we got a, a written, because we already saw the writing on the wall. We knew that right in the beginning. And so all we had to do was get it to 89%. And this is in August. We still haven't closed yet, but this is a very, very important time. Now, we are telling the seller that it's imperative that we get to 90%. because. He was at 95 when we first started the process. And that's what we fully expected him to, to keep the occupancy at what he currently had. That's the, usually the deal you make in these contracts, right? Because, you know, it takes six months to close on average, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit longer. But, you know, lots of things can go wrong. So you have to, you know, in your contract verbiage, it's like being, you know, able to keep it consistent. And so he's not keeping it consistent. And now we're at 88% and we, and we need 89. And so the long story short is we get in, and this is going to be our first really bad thing that happens right on this property is that 
we get into it and guess what? There is no 89% available. They, we, they can't get it there. And so now, now, but, and by the way, now we are past our due diligence, right? Timeline. Meaning we are committed to close this loan. And, you know, and, and this is what happens. I'm telling you, gosh, guys, this is what happens in deals, man. Like, you know, you, you got to try to operate with the highest integrity, but you got to, you got to understand that things are going to go sideways and, you know, and contracts are, it's amazing. Contracts will bring out the worst in people, right? Leverage. And so all of a sudden we had leverage up until our due diligence point, right? We could have walked away, um, but we're just, we're still trying to figure out the, we want to buy this property and the seller's very close. And he seems like he's, he understands it. Right, that we need to be at ninety. We've let him know this, and then finally he's just like, "We're not." Then he's kind of like, "Well, you guys need to close." And now we're we're past our due diligence periods. In other words, we're hard with our two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of earnest money. Okay, so now now this is where it gets a little bit wiggly, right? This is where people's true colors show and shine, and this is real where honestly the real work of being an owner operator comes into play because um, again, this, this sounds a lot like my last deal that I, my UVC project and that it's like seller's coma. They get into the, they fall asleep and then they want to just like, well, you know, here's what the contract says. And, you know, you still, I'm telling you, first of all, abide by your contracts, understand your contracts and that they, people can be ruthless when it comes to this kind of stuff. Okay. Now at the end of the day, we didn't get, the feeling this guy was ruthless, but he really wanted to sell the property. And so we get into it now. So now we have to, we're about 15 days from closing and we realize that he's not going to get it to the threshold needed that are, um, you know, like we're doing final inspects on this loan and, and it's not going to qualify. So now we have to have an intervention. Now, first of all, in every deal that I have, when I, when I do a deal, I always have a 30-day extension that I can pay for, typically for $25,000 or $30,000, and it gets credited to the earnest uh, deposit, okay? So it goes and it counts as part of the deal. It's not a fee to the seller. So we, we automatically, we know we're going to need it. We, we institute that 30-day extension. That's 30 calendar days, not 30 business days. So it's truly 30 days, okay? But... Man, in the game of trying to secure a loan, because now we know that we're going to need a bridge loan, okay? And just the word bridge should tell you that one thing is that it's more expensive, okay? It's more expensive. And so that, that starts to face some unique challenges, right? And what are we going to do? Because we underwrote it a certain way, and the extra expense of a bridge note, could that affect our, our profitability and affect the deal? And, you know, gosh darn it, why couldn't this guy get his stuff together? And so with that said, well, you know, we had, we had to improvise. Now going and trying to find loans are, this is in, a, in the bridge world, it's about relationships. And now, but the problem that we're facing with this property again, is that it's a small market it's a student housing project that's next to a community college. Those are all things that work against you in the loan world. 
The loan wants, you know, wants a bigger market, a bigger college, bigger everything, right? And so they still want and require more down payment. And it's looking like it's just, it's, and then they want these huge exit fees. And to the point where this bridge is not even looking like it's going to be viable or possible. And we're starting to freak out. So, you know, at this point, we're getting, we're getting super frustrated, super frustrated because we don't even know if we have a loan that we can actually get that will pencil the deal, that will pencil the deal. And I mean, I'm, I'm working almost every day now with my lenders trying to say, well, what about this? What about this? Because we got to find an alternative solution. And finally, one shows up. So one of the things I said is like, hey, listen, guys, where's the current debt on the property? Where's the current debt? And it happens to be with this company, uh, this credit union called Viridian Credit Union from Waterloo, Iowa. Well, huh? let's give them a call. And so we give Viridian Credit Union a call. And we're talking to the guy, right? The guy that makes all the loans, commercial loan bank. And you can tell this is like, so in smaller towns, there's, it works different than corporate America. And this is a guy that can make, he can recommend it to the board. And because he recommends it, it will probably get approved. That's the kind of loans we're talking about. And so we start having a conversation with him and tell him about what we want to do and see if they're interested and pursuing the debt, keeping the debt, because they already have the debt on their books. All we're asking is that we add a little bit more money towards the debt. So they kind of understand it, and they have to look at it. And say, okay. And so they come up with a term sheet, and the term sheet initially looks good, except for some things that would I cannot have in my deals. One was a personal guarantee. There's no way that we could do a personal guarantee on a property. Uh, we just don't do them, not on, especially not on the, these size of properties. Um, not going to happen, and but they wanted one. And so we had to go back and say, listen, here's the deal. Here's the property. You've owned it and, and you finance it for almost how many years now? Has it been good debt for you guys? And it has. It's been a good performing loan for that credit union. And they didn't want to lose the loan because they like that money working. And so uh, we had to give them you know, my operational history, my management operational history. We had to prove that we knew what we were doing and guess what? They finally agreed, right? So they waived the personal guarantee. And all my brokers were just amazed. I can't believe this happened. That, that never happens is what they said. Well, it never happens unless you ask, right? It never happens unless you ask. And in small town America, asking and, and putting your right foot forward and showing them all your cards and being you know, truthful and honest means something. And that's what we did. And we were able to secure a credit union loan for that, uh, for the amount of money we needed, which was three point uh, or 6.9 million bucks at 35% LTV at 4.1% interest rate, right? So now that's with principal and interest, but it gets us to our, the term that we're looking for, right? It gets us to the term that we were looking for, which was that interest only payment. At 4.1, it's it's almost the same on a 30-year amortization schedule. So by doing that, and not to mention, they didn't have any exit fees, meaning in one year, we could refi this property with our Fanny product and not have an exit fee. My friends, that means everything. So 
maneuvering the world of, of loans is a big part of the deal. And in this deal, it almost went south because of occupancy. And um, but we 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 had to really navigate it to where we found a solution, and, so, and and the solution almost didn't show itself, right? And uh, but again, man, when you are determined, when you put your mind towards something, and you have all your parties looking to find the answers, and I had really good professionals driving this home, and and, and lo, lo and behold, it was about asking the right questions and asking the right people, and then being prepared to to act. And that's exactly what we did. And we got our loan that was needed for the property and was actually better than we had we even even anticipated. Right. So, guys, there you are. There's the there's uh, uh, Hawkeye Towers, episode one of the good, the bad and ugly. That was the good with a little bit of ugly. We're going to get into more ugly on episode two and talk about some of the other details that went, you know, didn't go, you know, quite right. and. Um, in particular, the seller, right? And what happens with sellers, man, and how crazy they can get sometimes. And, but ultimately, how we drove this project home. And then our third episode is I'm going to interview uh, Matt and Greg uh, Snade, who were owners of the property with me. And we can discuss, you know, what went wrong, went good and bad there. And, you know, so that you can hear their story a little bit better, too, of Hawkeye Towers and, you know, how it performed for us really well. But like their take of seeing it from uh, from their their view. All right, guys, listen. In apartment investing, you can have anything that you want. All you have to do is you have to believe it first, right? You have to believe it in your mind that you're worthy, that you can do it, and then you've got to meditate and tell yourself that on a daily basis. Success does not just fall on your lap. You got to work for it, right? You got to believe in it. You got to see the vision through, even when obstacles come in your way. Because I'm telling you right now, there will be times that you wonder why you're doing this. You will look at obstacles and you're like, gosh darn. But the goal is to keep your eye on the prize and have relentless pursuit to it. And with your eyes on the prize, you can maneuver boulders. You can get out of the way of roadblocks. Just keep forging a path forward. If you believe it, you can achieve it. Your paradise is possible.